0: Good morning, everyone. We uh, are going to be finishing our sermon series, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through that all summer Uh, and really been kind of walking through this process of, you know, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow him? What does that look like? Uh, for not just them, but for even us as believers. And so Christ has been laying out some of this information uh, for his, his individ- individuals. Um, and again, if you haven't been here, just to uh, quickly kind of walk through just the general outline. Wrong button, sorry. Sorry. Um, and so, again, we started in chapter 5, right, the general characteristics. You know, this is what a disciple looks like, the Beatitudes. We talked about the idea to be the, the witness and the light, that it's our job to be the influence, uh, the salt and the light of the world. Uh, he then talked about this idea of righteousness, right? And, and how is it that we properly interpret the law, right? Because, you know, it's, it's, this is what you've been told, but this is what I say. So there's that comparison between, you know, a godly versus that worldly understanding. And then we get to chapter six and he addresses the motivations of our heart. You know, why why are we doing the things that we're doing? Uh, And then in chapter seven, we saw that aspect of relationships where, you know, again, this aspect of of judging and how we're to relate with people through grace and mercy. Uh, And then that call to prayer and that dependency upon who God is. And then the last two weeks, really, and even today, is dealing with this issue then of what is our destiny? When this is all said and done, where do we end up? You know, and a lot of this is, is going to deal with this idea of a choice that we have to make. Right? We saw several individuals make a choice today, this choice to obey. And at the end of this, that's the same thing that Christ is calling to us. Right. There's an obedience. There's a call to that. And he says, are you going to heed to it or, or are you not? And so over the last few weeks, he, he talked about this idea of destiny. And he said, you know, there's this gate that's narrow we have to walk through. Uh, he talked about how last week we, we talked about this idea of understanding people by their fruit that right, a, a person who is following Christ there should be an evidence of fruit in their life, right? That should be displayed in who they are as a believer. And so now we're going to finish this off. So if you have your Bibles, if you want, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, again, starting verse 24, it says this. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had the foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash." So what I want to try to do as we wrap this up is I want to look at this through, through two lenses. One, through the, the physical, kind of earthly as we're here now, and then look at it in a much deeper kind of spiritual, eternal sense as we go through. So uh, just to quickly kind of just walk through the passage here in general, though, right? He starts with what? He starts with therefore. And so what he's saying is, he says, listen, Therefore, in lieu of everything that I have just told you, going all the way back to chapter 5, verse 1. Okay, That's where he's starting with this. He says, in lieu of everything that I have just told you, he says, there's, again, there's going to be a choice. You've heard what I said, and, and now you have to decide what you're going to do about it. And he says, are you going to obey? Are you going to put this into practice? Or are you going to fail uh, and ignore and not Pay attention to what I've called you to do. And he gives this illustration then, right? He says there's there's two guys, they both want to build a house, right? And and in this context there's not a sense that it's a different house right they they both want a house of of security and protection and comfort a place to live a place to raise their families right a place to, to settle in and be part of the community and one of them is going to be considered wise and one of them is going to be considered a fool and again it's all based upon the foundation that you build on right if we build on the rock or if we build on the sand and This is an idea that culturally people would have understood very easily, right? Because they're in the Middle East, it's very hot, it's very dry, it's arid, they don't get a lot of rain. And so when rain comes... It really kind of creates for some of them a flash flood where very instantly when the rains come, all of a sudden the rivers rise up and it can quickly wash out their house and can completely destroy a place. Right. So culturally, they're resonating with what Jesus says. And just to kind of give you an idea of what this looks like, we were out west earlier this year. We went out to a couple of national parks, and so the last full day that we had, uh, we went to Zion National Park in Utah, and we, we walked this place called the Narrows, and it's like a giant creek where sometimes you'd be walking through. Uh, you know, it might be up to your knees. The water could be up a little higher, depending upon, you know, at one point, Branson was going through, and he was like this, and his backpack's floating on his back, um, and, it, and it was beautiful. It really was, to just kind of enjoy that last day. Well, the next day, we were over at a lake maybe about 45 minutes away, and way off in the distance, we could see some lightning. Had no idea what it was. Well, when I get back, Brian, my brother-in-law, he says, did you guys see the rains? Did you guys get caught in that storm? And I said, no idea what you're talking about. We got caught in some wind where we were at. Well, a flash flood had come through Zion National Park, literally the next day that we were there. They got an inch and a half of rain in an hour. And that's what it did. Completely destroyed the park. Water was rushing down. Cars were getting lifted and pushed. I mean, we're talking rocks, right? right? Perhaps small boulders, if you will. We're covering over the street. We're crashing into people's cars. An inch and a half. If you don't know how big an inch and a half is, if you just take your finger, the little first top part, they say that's about an inch. So that, that's about how much rain came down in an hour. And this is what it did. And that word there, great crash, Is is the idea of total destruction. So Jesus is saying, listen, there are going to be problems in your life. There are going to be storms that come upon you. Sometimes they're festering and you can see them coming, and sometimes they come instantly. But what your house is going to do is all dependent upon the foundation that you build it on. See, if you build it on the rock, you're going to get the storms. You're going to get the trying times in life, but you will weather it. You will make it through. But if you build your house upon the sand, Jesus is laying out and he's saying, look, you will have total destruction in your life. It's going to come and it's going to happen. And so that's what he's warning his people to say here. What are you going to do? What are you going to build upon? Are you going to build on the rock or are you going to build on the sand? Now, two weeks ago, uh, Dave Brown talked about the the gate, right, the the wide and the narrow gate, and and he he laid this structure out, and I thought this was tremendous for kind of really finishing off the last parts here. He said, we we look at life in both a physical right, uh, and a spiritual sense. And, And so we move across the scale because we have a physical life that at some point we will all pass away and our lives will be over. But as we walk through this journey of life, We also have a spiritual life. And so the idea is, and the hope is, and the prayer is, and God's desire is, that as we walk through this journey in a physical life into a spiritual life, that we remain on the top part of that. That physically I'm alive, and spiritually I'm alive. And then as we pass away and I'm physically dead, God still wants us to be spiritually alive with him. But again, that's a choice we make. And for some of us right now, we are physically alive, but we are spiritually dead. And sadly, there will be some, many, that when they die, will experience what it means to be spiritually dead, to be eternally separated from Christ. And so I want us to to understand this. I want us to look through what Jesus is really saying with all of this here. So uh, he says here on the physical level, let's start here. He says, John 10.10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God says, I want you to experience the very blessing of what it means to have a relationship with me. I want you to experience the joys of life, regardless of what is going on, that you can have a soul that is content and at peace, and you can enjoy the blessings of this creation and this world and this community that I've given you. And he says, if you want to understand what that looks like to be physically alive and spiritually alive, he says, listen, go back to everything that I just told you. Be the example of the Beatitudes, right? Have that in your life. All the stuff that I told you uh, about, about anger and lust and vengeance and greed, remember how I said to stay away from that? I'm doing that to protect you so you will enjoy the best life now. And when I talk to you about your motivations and how I want you to be a person of generosity and giving and be devoted in prayer and not to worry, again, all of that is designed for your benefit. And you are to live humbly and gracious and mercy because when we live that way, life is good. Again, it's not perfect. You will have trials and difficulties. But you will weather the storm of life And if you remain in dependence upon me and heed my obedience, I will give you that wisdom. I will give you that guidance and I will be with you every step of the way. That's the wise man. And the fool is the one who does the complete opposite. The fool says, you know what, I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to be self-centered and I'm going to focus only on, I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to work for money and I'm going to work for popularity and fame. And my goal is going to be a big fancy house and a fancy car and great vacations. I'm going to be the guy at work that everybody knows. I'm going to be the best sports athlete that there ever is. I'm going to have my name written all over the place. That's what I'm going to live for. And anybody that tries to tell me otherwise is wrong because everyone else in this world is wrong and they're all fools and I'm the only wise one here. And it's those kind of people who may be alive physically and may seem like they have everything in the world. Their bank accounts are full and they've got all of this, but they are spiritually dead. And they are the people that build their lives upon the sand. And I'm sure you've all gone to the beach and built build a sandcastle, right? And you build the sandcastle and you build it close to the water and as the water comes in, you, you either you dig the trench, right? And you you, you build a little wall and, and as it comes in, you're like, I'm going to protect my castle. And you're like, quick, dig faster, kids. Dig faster, build a bigger wall. And you're doing it. The whole family's doing it. And the tide just keeps coming in and the, the waves just keep coming. And you're like, dig faster, dig deeper, dig deeper. And then all of a sudden, whoosh. And it just gets a little part, but you're like, oh, no, my trench is gone. My wall is gone. Dig, dig, whoosh, and it just comes again. And you just, you just start to give up hope, and then all of a sudden, here comes the big one. And then your castle. Right? That's what God is saying here. If we put our hope into all of these other things... You will work hard your entire life and you will work frantically to keep that up. And at some point, at some point, some storm is going to come and it is going to crash that castle down. You know, this, this is what Solomon spoke about when he, when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He, he said, you know what? I've got all the money in the world. I'm the wisest man alive. I, I'm a king of all of this. And he said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search after these other things. I'm going to go after wisdom. I'm going to go after pleasure. I'm going to work really hard. And, and, and he starts this, and he says, it's all meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Solomon does all the things that we so often chase after, and he gets to the end of the book, and he just reminds us of what he said in the beginning. He says, guys, all of this is pointless. To be physically alive and spiritually dead has no value in your life. Because in the end, it will be gone. And so he says to his followers, I want you to enjoy the best life that you can have now. I want you to enjoy my creation. I want you to enjoy relationships and family. And work should be a blessing to you. But if it's not built on the foundation of me, it's not going to be worth it in the end. So he says, don't go chasing after that. Don't be like the fool. Okay, so that's, that's the physical sense. Now let's talk about a deeper spiritual sense. Again, right, we're all going to die, right? So at some point, we cross that middle line where we are physically dead, right? Our body is in the ground, right? Our bones begin to deteriorate, and, and eventually there will be nothing left of us on this physical earth. But then we have a spiritual that exists. There is a heaven and a hell. There is life with God, and there is life without God beyond this. And God is desperately pleading with us. God, is, God has said, I desire this so much for you. That, that's why I'm finishing this sermon series with this stern warning to you that you don't end up physically dead and spiritually dead. That's not what I desire for you. And, and so he's leaving his followers with this where are you going to be on this scale? Where are you going to be? And it's important to consider the context when we look at this last part, right, of everything that we've just been talking about. Because following Jesus, right, it's all about how I live and how I act, right? And it's all about where I put my trust and where I put my faith. And he says, again, how are you going to respond now to your eternal destiny? And so when we think about the Bible, when the Bible uses the term fool, uh, fool, what we need to understand is, again, we often think the fool is the person that doesn't make good decisions, right? They don't have a lot of knowledge, but the Bible oftentimes will see that idea of a fool differently. Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So when the Bible references a fool, a lot of times what he's referencing is somebody that is godless. Somebody that is immoral, that is spiritually destitute. It is a person that has chosen not to follow God. That is the fool. Okay, That is the fool. And as a result, what is going to happen to the fool? His eternal destiny will be hell. It will be a separation from God. Yes, hell exists. There is is no getting around it. There is no getting out of it. It's not a temporary place that eventually you make it back up into heaven. We will all die once, and we will all there be facing judgment. And there are the eternal consequences of that. And the fool is the person who lives that way. But the wise man is the opposite one. The wise man says, no, 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 I want to have God in my life. I, I I want to have this relationship. And so when we look at the passage there, and it talks about building on the rock. Well, again, he's connecting with his listeners and their understanding. Because back in Deuteronomy, right, it was understood that God is the rock. Right, He is the rock. People understood when you reference rock, you are referencing God. And then in John 10, 30, he speaks to his people and he says, I and the Father are one. So therefore, what he's saying is, I am that foundational rock. I and God are one, thus I am the rock that you need to build on. And then a little bit earlier, right in that passage, we have the the gate. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. And then what does he say later in John? I tell you the truth, I am the gate. So he's saying to his people here, Listen, I am the rock, I am the gate, I am the foundation. Me, Jesus Christ, the one that is speaking to you right now. This is where you need to build your spiritual foundation. Now, we, we live in a world today that we say is postmodern. Now, a lot of times when I say postmodern, a lot of people understood kind of this idea of relativism. But we often say postmodern, but where did modern come from? What was that time period? Well, the the modern time period, we often actually look back as really that time period of the Enlightenment. So we come out of the Middle Ages where everything was based upon spirituality and and, and religion and, and the church. And then the Enlightenment says, we don't really want that anymore. And so for a long time, that was the modern time period, which basically said, we can figure out truth through rationalism, logic, and reason. I mean, you could sit down, we could logically look, out the, look at the world and go, this is truth, right? And we could all come to an agreement. Well, we've changed that now because now we're postmodern. Logic and reason don't hold value anymore. And matter of fact, truth is no longer an absolute truth. Truth is relative. Because now what we say is we live in a culture that says, whatever you want to believe is okay. Your own personal experience gets to determine whatever you think and whatever world you want to live in. That's what postmodernism says. Truth is relative, everybody can have their own, and we can all live side by side. Right? So you and I can disagree about what absolute truth is. Okay? And, and so I, I think Jesus... In his wisdom, right, when we look at the scripture, again, he calls us to that, and he says, listen, watch out for the false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves, and by their fruit you will recognize them. We live in a culture now where so many people will come to you and say, Jesus is not the only way. You You can be a Buddhist. And you can, you can believe in, in Allah and Muhammad. You can follow the Quran. You can follow the Veda text of Hinduism. Matter of fact, you cannot have anything if you don't want it. And we can all end up in the same place. And nobody can tell you you're wrong because it's your life that you're going to live. And Jesus is saying, listen, watch out. Watch out for those false prophets because they're going to come claiming that this is some sort of truth when it's a lie. And what does he say? How do we know by their fruit? We can look at the lives of the things that these people proclaim, and we can identify their fruit. And it is bad fruit, and it is rotten to the core. But so many of us in this culture, in this society, have eaten into that fruit and have bought that lie that it's okay for you to believe this, and it's okay for me to believe that, and in the end, we all end up in the same place, no. I'm here to say, biblically, that is absolutely wrong and incorrect. And there's something else I want us to say. When when Jesus is talking, especially in chapter 6, he he says, be aware of the hypocrites. right? Be, Be aware of the hypocrites. Well, the hypocrites were the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Those were the individuals that people looked at and said, this is my understanding of what discipleship looks like. These are the great religious leaders that I should follow. And Jesus comes along and says, no, that is not what you are to be a model of. That's not what you were to go chasing after. And the reason why he says that is because he gives us a really hard truth. In Matthew 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? And then I tell you plainly, I never knew you away from me, evildoer. That's a hard truth. Wait a minute, God, I don't get it. How is it that somebody is doing something in your name, performing miracles, prophesying, doing all these things about you and they get to their judgment and God says, I never knew who you are? And he says, that's because that's what the Pharisees are like. They're they're stuck in their sense of legalism. They're stuck in their sense of religion. That they think, by doing all of these things for me, that somehow they can earn salvation. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works. You cannot earn my righteousness. And if we're going to put our stock in our own righteousness... It's going to be a foundation of sin because my righteousness is not righteousness, but it's one of sin. And so a lot of us have convinced ourselves of this, that I can earn God's favor. If I just show up to church on Sundays and I tithe and I pray and I do good works and I serve and I help old ladies cross the street. I will have earned God's favor on my own merit because I am a good person. And at the end of that, you have the sad reality that God says, I don't know who you are. You are not my child, and I am not your father because you can't earn my love. So, if that's the case, then how do I build my foundation on the rock? If it's not all these other religions, and if I think I'm following Jesus, but maybe I'm not, how, how, I don't get it. Well, go back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.3. How does he start? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It starts with what? An understanding, an attitude, a realization that I am spiritually broke. That I am a sinner. There is nothing good about me my words, my actions, my deeds. Sure, temporarily I may do something good, but at the core of my heart, I am a sinner. And when we recognize that, that is when we find life in the kingdom. Because I understand that my righteousness cannot come through myself and my righteousness is only going to come through Christ. And so we see that then in 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich Christ had everything in the world and he said I'm going to come down and I'm going to live this life and I'm going to live it perfectly And I'm going to love, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to be gracious and merciful and forgiving. I'm going to be all the things that you are to be. And then when it comes time for me to die, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to accept all of your sin upon myself. I'm going to take the pain and the judgment and the consequence for you because I love you and I don't want to see you face eternal destruction in hell without me. That's what I'm calling you towards. That's what I want you to do. That's what I'm desiring. That through my richness, it can be yours. And so he goes to the cross, and he sheds his blood, and he dies, and he says, it is finished. I have done what you cannot do. And if you want my righteousness, here it is. It's all yours. What do I have to do, God? I just told you, you don't have to do anything. Are you sure? Can I give some money? No, you can't give any money. All right, I promise I'll come to church. It's not about promise of coming to church. I'll be a better person. I'll stop swearing. No, it's it's not about that. It's about having a relationship with me where you are choosing to obey and follow me like I am your father and you will be my child. because Christ came to destroy religion. What is religion? It's a, set of, it's a set of rituals and beliefs that thinks I can earn heaven. And he said, let's get rid of that. That's what the Pharisees thought. That's what the religious leaders thought. No, I came to give it to you through a relationship and that's through me. And so then he ends the Sermon on the Mount. And it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he had taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Those people stood there. They understood something different. They said, this guy isn't like everyone else. There's something different about him. He's got authority when he speaks. See, when we have authority, what are we? We're the author of something. Jesus is the author of the law. Jesus is the author of all of the rules. I, I can teach God's word to you. Right? That's what I'm doing right now. But I have no authority in this. I can't make this up. I can't get it to say what I want it to say. I can't change it. Only, only God in Christ has that ability. There is an author of truth. There's a, a TV show way back in 1956 called To Tell the Truth. And, and they still cycle through it. They keep redoing it again and again and again. But the the premise of the show is this. There's a, a panel of people that have to try to guess who is the real person, right? So there might be three or four people trying to interview or ask questions to three people. And maybe I remember one that I saw was, who was the real police officer? And they all looked like a police officer, and they all answered questions like a police officer. And in the end, the panel had to try to decipher which one was actually really telling the truth. Because only one of them was, and all the other ones were masquerading as truth, right? And so again, we go to this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. There's a whole lot of things out there that are masquerading themselves as truth. Other religions, relativism, perhaps there's no God God doesn't exist, so carpe diem, guys, seize the day and live however you want, because at some point you're going to die and be in the ground, and that's the end of it. So get what you can now. And for a lot of people, it's ritualistic religion. If I just do the things that I'm supposed to do, God will understand that I'm a good person. There's only one that is an absolute truth. There is only one foundation of the rock that you can build upon. There is only one gate that you can enter through, and that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is my prayer for you, and that is words called to you. And so here we are now at the end of the Servant Series, and we are left with a decision. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the wise man. What are you going to be? Are you going to be the wise man or are you going to be the fool? Are you going to have physical life and spiritual life and physical death and spiritual death? Or are you going to be on the opposite side, to be physically alive but spiritually dead and physically dead and spiritually dead? That is the choice that we have to make. And so I'm going to, I'm going to finish this with a, with a call here. If we have any elders in the room, if you guys could just stand for me. I know we've been seeing them a lot lately, but if there's any elders, just stand up for me real quick. Any elders? If, if you are at a point in your life where you're sitting here and you're like, I am physically alive, but I am spiritually dead. These are the men that you have voted upon to shepherd this flock. I want you to talk with them. And maybe you're at a point where you're like, I know Jesus, but physically, lately, I have not been living the way that I need to. And this is a call to repentance to each and every one of us. This is a call to say, this is your chance to get right with God, to obey Him. And maybe you're looking at this and going, Adam, I can't talk to these guys. I'm too embarrassed. I'm ashamed of what I've done. You know, the Bible is full of grace and love and mercy, and none of these men will condemn you, but they will embrace you. So if you're embarrassed to say something, I, I, I plead with you not to be, but to open up your heart and your soul. And maybe you still feel too uncomfortable. Well, then I'm going to I'm going to ask you to say, talk to a friend that you know here, a family member, somebody you came with and say, I got to get right with God. I I got to heed this obedience, because if I don't, I am left on the sand and I will experience destruction. And I don't want that. And we don't want that. And above all, Jesus doesn't want that for you. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to close out here with a song. But again, I encourage you, please, if God has something on your heart right now, do not bottle it up and walk out of here without saying anything to anybody. And maybe while we're singing, this is your chance to confess your sins to God, to plead to him, to praise him, whatever that may be. But we wrap up the sermon series on what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what our desire should be, is to live for him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for a message, words of truth. God, there is a lot that tries to take us away from you, that tries to lie to us. But, Lord, there is only one truth, and that is you. Lord, we know that we are not perfect. Lord, we know that we are full of sin, and we can't earn your love. or Lord, we don't even deserve your grace or mercy, but you freely give it to us. Lord, may our hearts be open to you. God, may we be willing to confess. May we be willing to heed to the obedience in your call to say, you've asked me to live differently for you. And Lord, that begins with an understanding of what it means to have a relationship with you. I thank you and I praise you, God, that we are not left to die for all of eternity without you. Your blood has set it all, has come to set us free, and has given life to the fullest. Amen.